A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Here's a cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short term plans at uh1.com. As a mom, vegan of 20 years, and entrepreneur, I need a lot of energy. And I turn to Athletic Greens to help me out. Athletic Greens is part of the daily nutrition regimen for thousands of top performers, professional athletes, and health-conscious go-getters worldwide, including USA cycling and endurance athletes. So I knew I would trust them. It's developed from a complex blend of 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food-sourced ingredients. And it's a comprehensive all-in-one greens powder engineered to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet and support your body's nutritional needs across the four pillars of health, gut health, immune system, energy, and recovery. And these are all things that I'm super interested in. I put a scoop in my smoothie in the morning, and it feels amazing to know that I'm set up to feel my best and sustain my energy all day long. Try for yourself at athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga. That's athleticgreens.com slash lit yoga and get lit up. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A, where you all ask the questions and we answer. I'm joined by my darling co-host, Kristen Williams. Woo! Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. I was going to add all your titles. Fearless but leader. <laughs> fearless leader, I know. Yes. Well, uh, you're my fearless co-leader. So we're co-pilots here yes. in, the, in the Redefining Podcast Chairs. So we're going to dive right in. Thank you for sending your questions. This one is from Erica Krauss. She said, I used to do Windsor Plotties with my mom as a kid. And I remember the videos saying something about being careful not to build, quote, the belly outward. My question is, if you're putting stress on your core, even if you haven't consolidated the muscles and it might not be optimal, aren't you still getting stronger? What does building out your core mean? Wow. You just landed on a, it's like you just stepped on a landmine. I only say that because this is a really, this is really relevant to how we teach. And as you would know, Erica, because I, I know that you're lit all lit up. So I'll launch in. This is again, we could do a weekend course just talking about this one thing. So I actually, I'll give you a little sneak peek. I did I, I recorded some labs and lectures for our core module level two. So get excited, all of you, all of you who are going to do that. And I talk about this and it's that the core needs to be coordinated, organized, revved up and has a, have endurance. So it's another acronym. I love acronyms. So a coordinated core means that all the core muscles, which essentially are stabilizing the spine, the pelvis and the shoulder girdle, 
are firing in a manner in which that they are preemptively supporting those bony structures that are closest to the bones. That's our proximal muscles, those are postural muscles. Although there's some other ones that are bigger that also can contribute to posture, but those are really them. So the coordination of that is that we want those deeper muscles firing before the superficial ones do. You know, and they've shown in studies, like if I'm going to lift my arm or my foot or something, my deep core muscles, that includes the pelvic floor, should have an anticipatory response to that even before I do it. So it's like the thinking about it, even if I'm not conscious of thinking about it, happens and that instigates that core activity. So when someone is pushing the belly out in that way that you're talking about building out, are the, are the abdominal muscles getting strong? Yes, they might be getting strong, but they're not strong in a functional way. You're getting strong in those, the overlying muscles, which are the superficial ones, the bigger ones, the rectus abdominis, perhaps the external obliques. Those are big and expansive and they are made to flex your trunk, get you up off the ground. We, they're they're going to fire without you even really thinking about it. So think about this. It's like kindergarten abdominals. They're going to do it and, and you don't, there's no, there's no major education in it, but over time, and this is probably what this video is saying, building in that way, isn't really a, okay, let's just be superficial. Visually that doesn't look good because you see those people in the gym, they might be really taut and firm, but they're, they have these like little pot bellies. And that's what happens when the underlying material is not holding and it's all tight and taut in the superficial, it actually pushes it out. And so they look big and strong, but they're not functionally strong because they go to lift weight and squat and they might be able to do it a while because big move from muscles, but then one day, inevitably, they're going to probably injure themselves because the stabilizers aren't doing their job in that coordinated way. So the coordination and organization is you've got to get the pelvic floor and deep abdominals that you transverse some of your deep low back muscles, holding the pelvis, the bowl of the pelvis and the lumbar spine right around the junction where the pelvis and lumbar spine meet at the sacrum. You need to hold that strong. So pushing the belly out is not going to get you that. And over time, it is going to probably lead to low back pain probably lead to some hip issues because if you're not holding your core strong, those deep abdominals, you're moving your pelvis, you're not moving well in your hip, it leads to imbalanced. It's the opposite of this organization, the O part of the core. It's disorganization and kind of faulty wiring. And it's also very, again, it's kind of kindergarten. And that's like, we can't stay in kindergarten in our movement. We have to be, if we're adding, if we're adding sophistication and load and forces and multi-joint actions, that's what I have to say about it. I actually am proud of my succinctness. <laughs> I, I am too. And I mean, I wouldn't add too much onto that. I, I, I think you nailed it just by talking about, it is coordination. It's, it's being able to use what you want to use when you want to use it. And what a lot of those people who just use the rectus in particular, the six-pack abs. Now, I'm one of those people that I have a six-pack. I don't try, for, I mean, I don't know. I do try for it. I do a shit ton of abs because of our reset. <laughs> I don't do crunches. I don't do crunches. I've always been built this way. 
my kids were like that. They would comment, look at those six packs because it's, it's, but I was never strong in my core. So, and by strong in my core, I mean the deeper core. So yes, we need the rectus abdominis to flex, but it is, it's a, it's a big mover, but it's not a stabilizer. And it wasn't until I started lit and really working into that deep, I call it the drum. I like to think of the deep abdominals as a taut drummer trampoline that you want to be able to engage that and know how to fire it when you need it. Because that's what you need for lifting, for bending over, for reaching, for all of the functional things we do throughout the day. If those guys aren't triggered, I don't care how beautiful your six pack is or what you're talking about, those barrel people, I know exactly what you mean. I see them on ads and stuff too. Yeah, they've built up this this superficial musculature, but I would argue if they did two to three sets of lit yoga abs, they would be on fire because that's the deep core that's going to build. That's what's going to increase the body temperature. That's the, the stabilizing the posture muscles that Mm -hmm. um, are often forgotten. So I do, I do agree. You don't want to build out and it doesn't look as nice, but also it doesn't function as well. It doesn't function as well. Back back to function. Yeah. And the other thing, when people talk about intra-abdominal pressure, so there's a lot of, and and this is the thing that's wonderful and not so wonderful about um, the internet and social media. There's, you're going to be exposed to a lot of different kind of instructions. And, and we never like to say ours is right or this is wrong, but we we do have a very, very experienced, educated novel, I mean, knowledge base. And so that's where we're speaking from is like, we want you to be sustainable. We want you to be able to move freely, joyfully, efficiently. We want you to wake up in the morning and not be in pain. Like how many people can raise their hands and say, I wake up and I'm pretty, I mean, maybe I have a couple creaks, like if I slept weird, but I'm talking about chronically waking up and not feeling great. That's usually an indication that you're probably not moving well during the day. And so you'll hear about intra-abdominal pressure and, oh, you shouldn't do any kind of core work because working the core and doing some abdominal, like kind of, we don't do crunches, but we do a lit abdominals. That's going to increase the intra-abdominal pressure. And that is wrong. Where you are going to increase the intra-abdominal pressure is this, where you push the belly out because then you are pushing out and then pushing down into the pelvic floor because the pelvic floor isn't responding to the demand because when the pelvic floor works well, it's immediately because of its connection going to help make those uh, proximal muscles, the transverse abdominals kick in. So if somebody's pushing out when they're doing abdominals, they are increasing their intra-abdominal pressure. They are not practicing core abdominal core work well. So if you see somebody in plank and they have that kind of domey look, even if it looks like it's solid dome and not like gut spilling dome, that still is increasing that abdominal pressure. And PS, when you are doing that, guess what is not firing well? Your glutes. So you need, especially say in plank where you have gravitational forces coming down on you, on your entire body. You need the front and the back to be like a little sandwich that supports your pelvis and spine so that you are keeping the balance there. And that then it feels challenging, but no one area is, is 
taking all the load. It's a, it's shared. So again, that's that organization. And one last thing I'll say before I continue on this, you can tell we're passionate about it, is that coordination is the neural coordination. That's like when Kristen said, you want things to fire when you want them to fire so that you can do what you want to do. That's neural coordination. That means the brain is sending the message in that coordinated way to direct. It's like a symphony. Okay, you guys are playing this. Now you play. Now we're going to add you guys on. But it's it's a coordination that it manifests in strong functionality. Any other add-ons to that? No, that was great. We will hop off our, our core soapbox. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're really passionate about it because the core so stuff important. and the breathing is really, really often misunderstood and misinstruct and not instructed always like from professionals, proclaimed professionals. I'm not saying it's their fault. They might be missing some very important pieces. So go back to stability always. All right. Next question is, Teen Yogeri asks, is no pain, no gain still relevant? For those youngsters who aren't, who don't know what this means, but this was probably very trendy in the 80s and 90s, maybe even more like in the 2000s, if you got into kind of CrossFit, CrossFit is great if you have good instruction, but not always great if you don't have good instruction. And it was this idea that if you aren't feeling pain, you're not going to gain. You're not going to gain strength. You're not going to gain endurance. You're not going to gain cardiovascular aptitude. So I'm going to turn it over to you to answer that question first. Yeah, no, I'll start off with this because I'll never forget when I was first deciding whether I wanted to go into PT, I didn't, I, I, I took a gap year after college. And I did a four-month internship up with the University of Michigan. And so this would have been, dare I say, in 1996. (laughs) Wow, Um, some of you weren't even born. (laughs) And so, and I remember watching some of the PTs, and this is what we did back then. They would literally give a patient a towel. I remember this. They would crank on their knee. That's how it was done. And I remember thinking to myself, how am I going to be able to do that to people? Now, to be honest, by the time I went through three years of, of my master's program, and then I did two years in inpatient rehab, got into outpatient orthopedics. So what, five years later-ish, and we were already seeing the change where we started realizing no pain, no gain is not the way to go. Simply because pain, which we've talked about multiple times on this podcast, Pain is an output output from your brain. And so you can't push through pain at a body part, if that kind of makes sense. Now, there are times where there's a level of pain and pain is so subjective and so dependent upon multiple factors, variables. Somebody might be feeling a whole lot of pain when they should only be feeling a little bit of pain and vice versa. You've got those people that, the high pain threshold. You have no idea until after that they that you even hurt them. So we need to be mindful of that, but working within a spectrum and recognizing that there are many ways to modulate pain far, far away from the area that you're working on. So looking at things in, in terms of through breath work. I mean, we've seen it. I mean, how long has Lamaze been around? Lamaze has been around forever. We were already thinking in those terms of pain modulation through methods that were outside of the spectrum of 
where, you know, follow the pain at the source. So do I completely unsubscribe to no pain? I do. I unsubscribe to no pain, no gain. (laughs) That doesn't mean I don't put people in pain. (laughs) I I do. But I will, there's a, there's a, a definite spectrum of where I will hit. If somebody is wincing, that's, odds are the brain and the body are going to react to that. And you're not going to get what you want to get out of your treatment. If they might feel pain, but they're able to still relax, relax. And, and, and I can even feel it happening under my fingers or feel it happening, see it happening in their face. They get through it because sometimes we need to, there's a fear factor. I was working with someone this morning who has hurt her knee. It's all swollen. She doesn't want to move it. So I got her on a ball and just had her start to, she's like, no, no, wait, wait, it hurts. I was like, just take it right to where you feel it and then move away. Within 30 seconds, she had dramatically increased range of motion and no change in the pain. So what does that tell you? The pain was coming from a place of fear, from a place of, of body. Anticipation. Anticipation. Yes. So no pain, no gain is thrown out the window, but that doesn't mean no pain, no pain. Mm-hmm. How does that sound? How about you, Laura? Yeah, I agree. And I, I, in, in terms of like yoga, let's, let's talk about it because this is called redefining yoga. And I think one of the many elements of redefining yoga, my original purpose was around this kind of philosophy. And I'm not saying that yoga teachers are, are actively telling you like no pain, no gain, but there are some assumptions certainly in some of the traditional practices that you're going to have pain to get to some prescribed pose or whatever. And that could be in range of motion pain. Like you're going beyond what your body's prepared for. And to Kristen, like what Kristen mentioned, some people will feel nothing and that's not great at that in range. And a lot of people will feel um, restriction. And then some people will feel compression. And that will end up translating because pain is an opinion. It would be ending up translating into pain. And so I think that it's, it's, it's a, there's many layers to it. In yoga, I can't tell you the number of people that I have worked with. I mean, hundreds over the years who have had done chaturanga incorrectly. And when I say incorrectly, I'm talking biomechanically incorrectly. And they thought the pain in their shoulders was signaling this like no pain, no gain, that they were getting stronger. When in fact, that pain, they should have been listening to. That was their passive structures and tendons telling them, please don't put all that weight on me because they're rounding forward and shifting. But they had thought, oh, I thought I was supposed to be feeling that because it was that kind of no pain, no gain mentality. So it's it's always like, we say this a lot in um, PT, but you can apply it to yourself. Like, what is the pain feel like? Is it sharp? Is it feel like compressive? Like something's getting squished? Is it feel achy? Does it feel like it comes on and then kind of slowly goes away? Like those are different types of pain. Is it muscle burning? Like, wow, this, I have a lot of sensation. Cause I like to say that's a sensation, but you might have not always, you know, thought of that as a sensation. You think of like, oh my gosh, that burning is, is pain. So for that, I would say, no, you're going to make gains with that type of thing. Cause that's like challenge and your muscles are revved up 
and they're challenged, you want to maintain your form, but you will get gains that way. But if you're feeling those other type of pains, you have to kind of investigate your movement, work with a professional who's going to be able to take you through those ranges with the supportive structures like your core and, and, and make sure that that pain is not doing something to structures in your body that you don't want injuring. So sometimes pain is, and is kind of like an idea, like, oh my gosh, this really hurts. And I'll always say, what do you mean by that? And they're like, my muscles are really like working. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. That's, that's not to me hurt. That's just like, wow, it's work. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's like all the, it's, these are perceptions and, and, and all of our perceptions are based on our experiences. So say you it got injured as a child and everybody made a big deal about it. And so to you, like anything that happens that feels just invasive or, or not familiar is going to make your pain receptors really responsive. But then that's the time where you say, hey, no, actually, this isn't pain. This is work. Yeah. And then there are people who are just like type A who are just going to be like, and those are the ones I worry about <laughs> because they're just like, I'm going to do this. And it doesn't matter if I feel like I'm ready for it. I'm going to do it. It's like a competitive thing. And that's like not intelligent because that's just doing it for perceived outcome, but not worrying about how you're doing it. So there's a lot of, there's, there's, layers to it. there's a lot of layers. I think if we remember pain as an opinion and yeah. what is that opinion telling? Is it guarding you? Is it trying to actually help you? Is it just based on your own experiences? Like, so with frozen shoulder, for instance, that is faulty wiring, faulty messaging that you shouldn't be using, you shouldn't be moving that shoulder. So for people that are in that kind of early kind of, uh, what is it called? The freezing stage, they're not yet frozen. There, you're going to have to move and have some pain. Unfortunately, that's 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 kind of an exception. Like that, you're going to need to because you have to teach your body. Actually, I need because otherwise you're going to get frozen, and then you're going to have real, real pain from not working and and that adhered capsule. So it all depends, as always. But yeah, just be smart and listen to your body, and then please. You don't do lit yoga, practice with us or practice with somebody who understands the body, who's not going to put you in painful positions because it's like written in some book that you should do it. And then modify. I've got a ton of series on lit daily, modifying for wrists, modifying for knees, modifying for hips. I just had to do it myself. I was in a lot of wrist pain for probably two weeks and to where I just, you know what? I didn't do down dog on the wall or I would do fists for a while. And because I could feel it was the type of pain that I knew this is not benefiting me. This is aggravating an angry structure. However, what was I doing throughout the day? I was ranging. I was mobilizing. I was pushing into pain, but it wasn't weight bearing. It wasn't the type of pain that I knew was going to hurt. So I was modifying my practice. So please modify when you, when you're in acute pain and then the body is an amazing healer. I know we got to get on to the next question. I will just say the body's a great healer and let it do its work. Yes. And I just have to add on to that because Kristen has so many amazing um, series. And I recommended one the other day because a woman wrote me, she's young. She had not good biomechanics working out and all that and suffered from a labral tear and physical therapists and doctors told her not to do yoga, that yoga would hurt her. Okay, so then you have a 
informed, opinionated idea of pain put on you. And she was fearful of moving. And I said, no, you just need to move well. So go to, go to Kristen's hip pathology series. And she said, I, I, this is like, I, I, yeah, I'm too young to feel like I, I don't have this freedom. So there are going to be people out there that will tell you not to move or not to do something. And I'm not saying that they have ill will, but our bodies, to Kristen's point, are so resilient. And yes, modify, but keep moving, keep working on balance. It's always, it always comes down to balance. It really does. When we talked about the core, it's like, is it coordinated? Is it organized? The, the, apply that to the entire body, but don't be fearful of movement because that is going to really ramp up that anticipatory pain. Like you were talking about with the person you were working with. And we have some of that as, as safeguards, like to protect us. But then when you layer on the fear, because people are telling you, if you do this, you're going to get worse off. It's really, it can be quite disempowering. And, and yeah. we want to feel empowered. We want to feel like our bodies are, are able to be healed. All right. Well, I think we'll end there because that was, that was, those were some great questions. And we hope that you feel empowered to keep moving. You don't have to move into pain, but understand pain. And when you become more embodied in your own body, you will know, like Kristen did, like hmm, my wrist, I need to give them a little break. Like you're not going to just keep going and think, okay, get whatever that's supposed to be happening or totally trash your practice and say, I can't do yoga because it hurts my wrist. Like people do the entire spectrum and you got to find that balance point where you know your body and you trust it and you give it the tools, give it the rest, give it the strengthening, all the things. P.S. I have no pain now. And two weeks ago, I would not have Expect you kind of you get into that mindset where it's like, geez, Louise, when's this going to go away? And I'm like, oh, I can plank, I can side plank, I can handstand, I can no pain. Yeah. So yeah. my body healed itself. So get mm -hmm. healing, people. Get moving and get healing. Amen. Redefine yoga. Go lit. <laughs> <laughs> Heck yeah. Heck yes. All right. Thank you, my darling. As always, such a pleasure. I love you. I love you too. Thank you everyone for joining in. Keep joining us. Send us some stuff. You can send it to me at kbwilliams99, our DMs, laura at laura.hyman, or email us at support at lityoga.com and we will answer your questions, whatever you got. Yeah, we love we love getting those questions. So please send them in. And if you, I, I have had some people that send them in and they're like, please don't mention my name. We're happy to do that as well. If you want to be anonymous, just say that. No problem. We want to just support you in all the ways. So we are pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.